0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 16 this morning. Romans 16, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you now uh, humbled by by your goodness and humbled by our, our, our wretchedness. Lord, we just... We ask that you would fill us more fully with your spirit this morning so that we might be drawn ever closer to you uh, through your word. We just thank you for the freedom that we have in this country. It's been given to us by by many who have gone and, and given their lives and given their service and their time. We just want to lift up all those veterans and... Those who have served in, in, in many different capacities today. And we just thank you for their, their time and their effort and their service, and we, we just pray that you would bless them. Uh, Lord, we thank you again uh, for your word and the gift that we have and being able to come to it freely and, and without fear. So many people, uh, even still today, uh, do in secret in many different countries. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your Son Jesus, for his work on the cross, his work in the resurrection, a gift that he freely poured out for us. It's in his precious name that we pray. Like I said, Romans chapter 16 this morning. We are going to finish Romans. I think I've been saying that we weren't going to finish Romans this week. Just in looking at what we have in, in Romans 16, I just thought it better. You know, I'll talk a little bit about it. Thought it better to cover the whole chapter. Romans 16, 1 to 16, however, I'm going to just give myself an out. Has a lot of names. And, and while some of you might think that names in the Old Testament are harder than names in the New Testament, I disagree because names in the Old Testament have patterns. Right, it's a consonant and a vowel and a consonant and a vowel and a consonant and a vowel. So you can kind of every every two letters, you can figure out what well, oh what that that combination of sounds is. You kind of work your way through it. Greek names aren't that way, so I'm going to butcher a lot of these names. And It's okay. It's apparently the the day of names. That in our Sunday morning Bible study, they're going through Chronicles right now, First Chronicles, and the first nine chapters of First Chronicles have like nine thousand names in it, so. This morning, at Clay. Clay wisely used the used Bible recording, which I should have done the same thing. I didn't, so you're going to have to struggle with me. Romans 16, one, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sanceria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet uh, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, and to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the house in their, or the church in their, House, greet my beloved uh, uh, Epaphnitus, the pain, anyway, E, I'm off to a bad start, who was the first con- convert to Christ in Asia, greet Mary, who wh- who has worked hard for you, greet Androgynous and Junia, my kinsmen, that's not right, it's just just got to get through it, right? It's bad. I have read this before, I promise. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet A, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker uh, in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Uh, greet Apellus. who is is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Uh, Greet those workers in the Lord. uh, Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well, greet us uh, Asyncritus, Phlegian, Phlegian, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermus, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister and her sister, his sister, excuse me, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but our, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. <clears throat> For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, I, Tertus, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, uh, Cordus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known, to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, again, I apologize for the butchering of the many names, but none of you have these names. So well, Mary, there's one one normal name in there. This week uh, and I have to say this, Have to. I have to start this way. Bear with me a second. Then we'll actually look at the text. This week I, I, I've read the commentaries, I read many commentaries on, on Romans chapter 16. And <clears throat> I immediately am a little bit saddened. Because the, really the only thing that is said about chapter 16, especially verses 1 to 16, are all the different opinions that we have. And as we look at as we look at the book of Romans, there's a couple of places that, that that kind of happens right There's a couple of places like Romans chapters 9, 10 and 11. There's a lot of kind of dissension on what those chapters are actually talking about and that's 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 its own thing. we talked about that when we were going through Romans 9: 10 and 11. But chapter 16 seems to be a weird place where we would disagree so strongly. And I'm not going to necessarily get into all the disagreements, but I, but I think, that it's mostly because we're, mis, we're, we're misrepresenting or we're misunderstanding what this text actually is, right? We, we, we go through Romans or people study through the book of Romans and, and we really dedicate time. And, and, and Romans is one of those books that you just you dig into and you stay in and you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig because it's just so rich and there's so much good good stuff in here. And, and we get into this mindset and then we kind of, continue that mindset all the way to the end of the book of Romans, which maybe you go, oh that makes sense, but literally speaking, it, it doesn't. And actually it's probably improper that we do that. I've been I've been saying this a lot the last couple weeks because I, I do really think it's very important for us to, to approach scripture properly. When we when we come to read the Bible, we always need to do a couple things. The first and most important thing that we need to do, to do when we read the Bible is we need to we need to put our faith, our trust and that the Holy Spirit is who's actually teaching us. The moment we stop doing that is the moment we stop actually learning from Scripture. When we, when we bar the Spirit from teaching us, when, we, when I go, I'm going to go find this truth in the Bible. We're not actually letting the Spirit of God teach us. We're trying to teach the Spirit something that's, that's improper. The first thing we have to do is we always need to, we always need to remind ourselves, caution ourselves, to, to make sure the Holy Spirit is our guide, is our teacher, is our direction. The next thing that we need to do is we need to use our God-given brains. Did you know that you have a brain? Did you know you're able and capable, all of you, to read the Bible properly? It it does, though, ha- sometimes takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of effort. Sometimes we want to just sit down and we go, Oh, if I can't just read this haphazardly and passively and not be taught by it, it must not be, must not be valuable. Nowhere in scripture does it say that if you just sit down and happen to read this on a, on occasion you're going to learn from it. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. In fact, I think the complete opposite is true. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to uh, verses yeah, 4 to 9 tell us complete opposite. Not only are we supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we're to to write these things in the doorposts of our house and put them on our foreheads and wrap them around our arms and and talk about them with our kids when we're sitting down and we're lying down and we're walking. We're supposed to study the Scripture. We're supposed to invest time and energy and thought into it. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit blesses us. Now I bring all this up because I think sometimes we we misinterpret what we're supposed to do when we're reading it. And, and so I've been saying the last couple of weeks, let's read this the right way. We're in Paul's conclusion. His tone has shifted. His focus has shifted. His points have shifted. When we're in the body, which is chapter 1, verses 18, it's maybe 16, 17, all the way to chapter 15, uh, what do we say, verse 13? <clears throat> That's the body of the letter. We, we need a microscope. Get the microscope out, zoom in on the text, take your time, think about it, dig in, focus on it. But then, once you get to chapter 15, verse 14, recognize that the tone has shifted. Paul is now in his conclusion, which means that we need to get a wide-angle lens. We need to stop being right up close, and we need to back up. We do the same thing when we go to 1 Chronicles. You're reading a thousand names, you're not thinking about every single name and, and digging in and Investing the same time and energy as you would in every single phrase in the body of the letter to the Romans. To give you a a more, you know, maybe modern isn't the right word, but to give you a 20th century example, you know, you got the Lord of the Rings, right? Nobody picks up Lord of the Rings and reads it like a history novel. It takes the first page before you're introduced to an imaginary character called a hobbit. There's no hobbits in real life. And so you immediately know, oh, this isn't this isn't fact. This is fiction. This is a fantasy novel. And then we you're introduced to, to elves and orcs and all these things, and you're like, these things aren't in real life, and so I read it differently. I take a different approach. It's its its different. It's obvious. We do the same thing even within particular literature. We have to back up. And I think many of the problems and many of the tensions that we have when we when somebody is intently studying the book of Romans, like many of the commentators are doing is that they have a microscope and they need to have a wide angle lens. They're too close. And so what's what's scary to me is that as we look through this this list of names, church doctrine, foundational doctrines are decided and, and overturned because of these names, which I don't particularly think is right. They're they're too close to maybe overanalyze and overemphasize certain things. To give you as simple an example as I can, without actually getting into it, there are 26 names in verses 1 to 16. I think 26, maybe 27. In my head now, I'm, I'm not entirely confident. And 16 of them are women's names. There's one reference here that where uh, Junia in verse 7 Junia in this case is a, is a feminine name it's a, it's a female name is is in the ESV is well known among the apostles and other translations it's prominent so some people will go oh Junia was a female apostle Really I think you're too close to the text So if we back up and we and we and we back and I I I'm going to stop now because that's not what we're doing. We're not, we're not trying to talk about what everybody else is doing wrong before we, anyway. So what should we do with this? What do we do with this list of names? What are we observing? If we just take a few of these examples, we're not going to go through all of them. We'll just take a few of these examples, I think, I think it becomes clear. Right? Paul is the minister to the Gentiles. Paul is not an island. Paul knows this, and, and we should also know it. He's a minister of the Gentiles, but if Paul were by himself, he would have been killed many, many years previous. Paul is eventually going to get killed, even despite all of his help and support and protection. But if he didn't have help and support and protection before this, he would have been killed many years before. Paul needs other people. In fact, Paul needs other people so much that really most of his ministry wouldn't happen if it weren't for other people. Now, what's interesting about this list of names is it's a list of names, a long list of names, longer than any other list of names Paul gives, of people who are apparently living in a place that Paul's never visited. Because many of these people lived in different places at different times. Priscilla and Aquila, or uh, Perska is how Paul refers to him. It's a male name. Uh, They were in, we find them in the book of Acts, I think in Corinth. And they eventually apparently travel to Rome to minister there. Let's look at Phoebe, the first name. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of Christ, a servant of the church in Sanceria. He says, Welcome her and give her what she needs, because she was a patron for many. Now we don't we don't live in a a patron servant society. I think it's a servant. A patron in the ancient world was somebody who had money who then provided things for everybody else. Right? We think we live in a in a in a new world of, of people being really rich and people being really poor. Right? We think that that's a new phenomenon that's not even remotely new. It's been the pattern of human history always in the first century when Romans is written when really the majority of Roman history is you have about of the people have 80 to 90% of the money, and everybody else, the money they have buys the food that they have. If they have a home, it's because it's a family home. There's many people who are living there. Somebody like Phoebe, who is apparently wealthy, she owns a home big enough to invite people in. Probably a house maybe the size of this room, and in the middle... Where this middle row of chairs is, there's an open courtyard, and that's where they're having church. And the house is the outside walls, basically. But she owns the house. She probably buys all the food for the people who are attending church there daily at this point. She's the one who is, who is going to maybe give them employment. She provides things. We've all seen that maybe the high school or middle school, you go into the high school or middle school, and there's often... Plaques of people who have given money. That's essentially what a patron is. A person who has funded an entire, an entire building project, a library. In the church, in, in the, in not in the church, in the city of Ephesus. If you go to the city of Ephesus today, there's the ruins of the, of the temple that was built by a singular family. And there, put on the wall, these people built it because they were the patrons of that city. They were the only wealthy people basically, in the city. So Phoebe is a wealthy person who has provided a home for a church family. And when I say church family, I mean like not just like a singular church, like the church family. We go go further down. Priscilla and Aquila. Prisca and Aquila. They apparently risk their necks to save Paul from something. Not only did they do that, but they provided Paul life to continue on ministering to the Gentiles. Paul says if it weren't for them, many of your many of your churches wouldn't be planted. Maybe many of the churches like Corinth and Thessalonica would never have been planted. Keep going. Meet a bunch of other people. People who are fellow workers in Christ, who have built on the things that Paul has has started. Rufus and his mother, who who apparently mothers Paul as well. Right? We all need mothers and sometimes when you're out on the road planting churches as a missionary like Paul was, you, you miss a, a motherly influence. And so here's Rufus' mom who's unnamed. Says, hey, she mothered me. She, per, she helped me. She guided me. Directed me. So what do we do with this? I think I think we recognize a few things. Number one, sometimes we get we get lost in a sea of. Well, let me say it in a different way. Sometimes we 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 err on the side of not mentioning people because we don't want to step on anybody's toes by not mentioning them. Does that makes sense. Sometimes we go well. I'm gonna I want to thank somebody. But if I thank this one person, I probably should thank this person and so on and so forth. And when does it stop? Eventually you got to thank everybody, right? Yes and no. And sometimes I think it's very important for us to recognize that there are certain people who have been monumental in one thing or another. In Paul's life, to bring it to today, to bring it to us in the life of this church. I've preached the majority of the sermons in this church. It's my, my calling, I believe, but I am in no way responsible for this. I mentioned a couple weeks ago we would not be a church if I didn't have Missy in my life. Not not simply because she was a support for me, but because at times she used a sounding board for me to vent frustrations with foolishness. Sometimes she's a slap on the side of the head and that you're the foolish one. Not to mention the countless things that she has done in service of this church. Or Tom. Tom has been on the board since we started. Watching the money, keeping things in line. Cleaning up after service. To a to a million and six other things that I can't even begin to tell you. Jamie Polito, To Chris and Jeff before her. Starting the Sunday school ministry. and, And look at what has happened because of it. To Clay and to Mike and to Jeff on the board. In addition to Tom, obviously. There's just been literally countless people who have invested time, energy, sweat, tears, blood. In Clay's case, he's putting the door up, crashing his fingers. That's what Paul is doing here. He's commending these people. He's saying, greet these people because these people have done great things. And I can say this without without any question in my mind. Thank these people. And more. They're doing the work of the Lord. And and God's kingdom is growing because of it. I think sometimes it's important for us to take time to think about those people who are in our lives who do things that we both see and things that we also don't see. Many of the people who I just mentioned, you'd never see them because they don't want to be seen. doesn't mean they're not there. doesn't mean what they're doing is not important. In fact, sometimes it's more important than the things that are seen. I'll, I'll do one more because this is an important one. Wes, right? We really realize how much we need Wes whenever Wes is not here. I especially. Wes has been been in the church At least one day a week for about two years now, right? About, about right. There's a reason why Jesus sends ministers, or sends not ministers. What am I looking for? Missions people out into the into the world by twos. Before Wes started here, started like working as a a paid staff member, as a paid minister of this church. I was basically by myself, and it gets it gets very weighty. Since he's been here, I've again same things that I said about about Missy. I've been a sounding board for frustrations and pains, and sounding board for hey, what are we going to do next? What, what book of the Bible we're going to preach through next? Talk through the passages in, the, in in the week before, previous, usually literally indispensable in the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then Paul, in typical conclusion fashion, shifts dramatically. Look at all these people who are really, really important to me. Thank them, greet them. They've done good work. And then he says, but I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. There, there are primarily two different type of people in the church. People who help the church and people who hinder the church. Those people who hinder the church. Just turn that off. The people who hinder the church are who Paul is talking about here. People who, for their own desires, for their own appetites, he puts it, their own flattery, their own desires, whatever you want to say, to puff themselves up, harm the church. And I think there are people who harm the church because they're unaware of what they're doing. But I think those people are much fewer and further between than the people who come in as sheep, as wolves in sheep's clothing. People who, who think not of the church, not of the others who are in the church, but think solely of themselves. What can I get? What can I have? How does the church benefit me? And what's scary about that that line of of thoughts that i just gave you is that many of us at different times have been that person i hope that we're all aware of this that that many of us at times we come into the church we go you know what i'm either tired or i'm unaware of the purpose of church and i need you to feed me often that's not what the church is for we should be coming into the church always to be feeding others Now that might sound a little silly, you sitting here while I'm talking at you. Because obviously you are are to receive something from the sermon. But the sermon is not what makes the church. The body of believers is what makes the church. We can be either the people who Paul commends, or we can be either the people who Paul tells us to avoid. We can either fill, work, Or build up the church. Or we can consume and devour it. And there's two very clear paths that Paul gives us. He says either greet them, encounter them, be with them, or get away from them. I think sometimes we we avoid avoiding people because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Paul says the church is too important. The gospel of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel of Christ that happens in the church and because of the church it's too important to not hurt somebody's feeling if they're, if they're destroying the church. Now, I don't think that those people who are, who are unaware that that's what they're doing are the people that we should you know, give the boot to. But I do think that there are certain people who come into the church who create division, who create these obstacles, who, who, who in themselves are disruptive who we need to be much more forceful. This can sound maybe scary. I don't know. Scary might not be the right word. Scary might be a little bit too, too big or too whatever. Paul gives us a little bit of a, gives us a little comfort, right? Right at the end there, that that section versus in verse 20. He says we can be two people. We can be, we can be the people we commend or we can be the people who tear down. We can either greet them and be with them or we can avoid them. And sometimes as we look at the people who we should be avoiding, we get a little discouraged or scared of what they're going to do. And, and Paul says, don't worry about it. God's got it here. Do our part. Play our part. Be the church. But the God of peace will soon crush Satan under." Your feet. It's interesting. Paul says crush Satan. He's not talking about the people who are causing the visions. He's talking about the motivation of the people who are causing the visions. And he says he'll crush them not under his feet, but under your feet. We play a part in this work. And at the same time that we play a part in this work, it's not the people that we're crushing. It's Satan's influence that we're crushing. Which really should be very telling to how we should live our lives in the church. Satan is the one who wants to destroy the church not the people. So when we talk about, you know, speaking the truth in love, that's what we're talking about. Recognizing that it's not the it's not the person that that we that we're trying to crush. It's the Satan that we're trying to crush. And so in love and compassion and desire to to find unity with with all believers or all who confess to be believers, we crush Satan, we don't crush the person. And then, because he didn't think he gave us enough names, he gives us a few more. This time on the other side. We were greeting people in Rome earlier. Now those people who are with Paul are sending their greetings. Timothy, who we meet in both the book of Acts and also in the two letters that Paul writes to him. Timothy, my fellow worker, Lucius, Jason, uh, and Sosipater. These are people who are with Paul, people who are working with Paul, walking and talking and learning from Paul, who will be sent out by Paul. Timothy is sent out by Paul to both Ephesus and Corinth. We, we assume or we presume that, that, that both Lucius, or all three, Lucius, Jason, and, 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 and Suscipiter, also are like Timothy. Pastors, people who are going to go out and preach the gospel, they send their greetings. Turtis, who wrote this letter, Paul is not a writer. He's not a scribe. We live in a completely literate culture where if you don't know how to read and write, it's unusual. Not unheard of, but it's unusual. And so we think that just simply by being people, you learn that, right? But you don't. You have to be taught. it. You have to take the time to invest and learn how to read and write. Paul didn't know how to write. He probably knew how to read, but he probably didn't know how to write. At times he says, look at how big my my handwriting is here at the end of this letter. This is how you know that I wrote it. Because like a child learning how to write, you write really big. And so the letter to the Romans was written down, probably dictated by Paul, to this Tertius, who's written down by him. And then also Gaius, who's hosted me to his in the church that meets in his house. The city treasurer also greets you, and our brother. There are many people who impact the church in different directions. We're unusual here at Christ Church because we didn't have a church that sent us and planted us, kind of started on our own. But if we had a church that sent us and, and planted us, we would that would be who would be sending our greetings, essentially. I think this should be true for us in our individual lives, not just, not just in the church. Let me ask you a question, and this might go beyond what this text is doing here, but have you ever thought about the people who have who have influenced your life for Christ? I'll give you an example in my own life, my mom and dad. We had we'd eat family dinner until I was probably in high school we had family dinner. And when I was in high school there was just too many other things going on. unfortunately that goes by the wayside, right? We'd have our family dinner when dad would get home from work and Every dinner would end with us reading the Bible. Dad would usually read the Bible, and sometimes we would ask questions. He would ask us questions, and he would teach us about the Word of God. That is how I learned the Bible. If it weren't for my father, I probably wouldn't know the Bible as as I do today. There are many people who are in your life who have influenced you to be where you are today. My question is, have you ever thanked me? If you're anything like me, probably not. Because sharing emotion is not my wheelhouse. Many of you, sharing emotion is not your wheelhouse. But sometimes it's actually more important for you to do that. Thank the people who have been an influence in your life. Tell other people how they've been an influence in your life. Because there's something special about the stories that we share. This is a really random plug. The book that was on the back, and I think it was it was entirely taken. There was there was like twelve copies or something like that. Called the Insanity of God. It's a book about the persecuted church. I read it this week. And it's it's, it's stories about believers and the impact. That they had on another believer, or on other, you know, on many different believers being under persecution, sharing about their stories. The reason why this book is important is because it helps us not only understand everybody else, but it helps us have confidence in this last line here, not the last line in verse twenty. It helps us see how God is at work. Sometimes when we're isolated, or when we kind of isolate ourselves from the realities of our life together. We don't know God's hand is at work, but it is. I don't know if my dad really understands how important it was that he read the Bible to me almost daily for 15 years of my life. Probably because I never told him that. How many people in your life don't recognize that they have been at work in your life? Greet them. Thank them. Lift them up. We're going to close the book of Romans with Paul's doxology. And and if you can, Jeff, you want to bring up the text? Uh, verse 25. I think it's the last little section there. I think I put a second uh, another section What I want us to do, actually, we don't normally do this, but this is a text that we should do it with because it's a really good one. I would like to invite you to stand. If you can't stand, that's all right. You can stay sitting, seating, seated. Seated. But if you'd stand, we're going to read this together as a congregation. I don't think I need to say anything more about it. I think it's good enough in itself. According to my gospel... Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your work through your Son, Jesus. Lord, we, we ask that you would, as we think back on the almost two years of time we've spent in Romans, that you would, you would apply it to our hearts and to our minds, even the places that we maybe don't remember. Maybe weren't here whenever we went over them. Lord, we we know that your word is is only as powerful as is the Spirit teaching teaching it to us. Without your Spirit, we're we're completely blind and, and don't understand. Lord, we thank you for the many people who have been influences in our lives. We thank you for those people who both. Visibly and invisibly, have have led us and guided us and directed us to this point in our lives. And Lord, we just pray that we would be even bold to to thank them for it. Lord, we thank you that you have been a part of this church. We thank you that you have influenced many people to be to be workers for you. And Lord, we just pray that we would be we would be aware. Of Satan's attacks on us, we wouldn't we wouldn't get lazy or we wouldn't get, get complacent or comfortable in in our relative peace and, and freedom. But that we would be passionate, and purposeful in seeking the Word of God. But we wouldn't let it go uh, go to the side, go anywhere but central to our lives and to to what we do, to our work. Lord, we know that you are the only one who is able to strengthen us. We know that you have spoken to us in times past and prepared us to understand who you are in your son Jesus. And it's, to, it's only to you, our wise God, that glory is due now and forevermore to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.